and we're live on the virtual real estate investing podcast. I feel like we're starting to hit our groove, Frank. I am pumped for this episode. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. I needed the pick me up. I've been working on setting up our Google Ads PPC campaign, and my brain is fried. I was on <laughs> customer support phone calls earlier, just like I'm ready for the podcast. This is the fun part of the day, so I'm ready to get going. Excellent. So uh, hopefully we can pull some some knowledge out of you. I got confidence in you, brother. And just so you know, it'll be just me and Frank today. I imagine at some point people will prefer the episodes where we have a guest or the episodes where it's just the two of us. Time will tell which ones are better. But what are we talking about today, man? Well, today we're talking about something that's really, really important for our business and something I think a lot of real estate investors are interested in, which is hiring people, particularly hiring virtual assistants, which in the real estate investor community, they're huge, right? I've actually, I think if you took a share of all the employees that work in United States real estate investing, I would bet that at least a third of the employees are actually virtual assistants that are working in all these companies. I don't, I don't have the data to back that up, but it's just an assumption I have. So it's really, really important for anyone out there trying to achieve scale. So that's what we're talking about today. So what, when we say virtual assistant, what do we mean? I mean, I don't even like the word virtual assistant. I think the uh, typical interpretation of what a virtual assistant is and what people are really saying in real estate is probably an offshore resource that works in your company. And most people start hiring, I think, in lead generation, right? So finding deals and they call them virtual assistants. But I don't really think they're assistants, not in the, not in the traditional sense. Like back in the day, a lawyer would run an office and they'd have an assistant, right? They might answer phones manage their bank account, maybe to a certain extent, handle logistical, like middle office or back office type stuff. That was the assistant. Then we had the term executive assistant. Now we have virtual assistants, but really virtual assistants, as I see them are just employees, right? Like we don't use them as assistants. Like no one's doing each other's laundry over here. So you're asking me to like, what does it mean? And I, I'm kind of saying like, I don't even agree with most people's interpretation of what a VA actually is, you know? No, I, and that's, that's, the exact point I wanted you to make, especially in this environment post COVID where we have remote workers, right? I, I think we are now very comfortable saying we have remote workers. Well, what's the difference between a remote worker and a virtual assistant? I think in a lot of ways, like nothing, there's right. nothing different, right? I think in a traditional sense, most people would say a remote worker is stateside and used to be in the office while a virtual assistant is likely to be foreign foreign, um, and um, potentially at a better rate than you could get in an American worker. But I think they're generally the same thing. Yeah, no doubt. I, I think like the way we see it, not only do you have to think of them that way, but you have to treat them that way too, right? Like you, you hire a virtual assistant. We actually call them lead specialists on the acquisition side of our business. We try to give and them- Why do we do that? What, sorry to interrupt, but why do we, why do we make that decision? Because we want to give them the respect that their position in our company deserves or warrants, right? Like if you walked into a real estate private equity fund or a REIT and looked in their acquisitions team, you no one's called an assistant on the acquisitions team. They're called associates or specialists or analysts, right? Because their job is critical to finding deals and it takes some skill. Now, when we you bring someone brand new into your organization, you might give them like a really layup script, might make it simple at the beginning. But in our company, we expect them to evolve over time and use some level of decision-making um, when they're talking to sellers. So 
call them an analyst, call them a specialist. That's they're performing a test that they have to use their brain for. So I, I think we just try to treat them with respect. I think that is one of my frustrations and hopefully we can solve some of these frustrations and get our ideas out there. But one of my frustrations with this space and virtual assistants is it's this idea of an outsourced solution, right? It's like, I don't want to handle this stuff. Let me give it all to you and you take care of it. Okay. So let's, let's compare that outsourced versus in-house. What does that mean as you grow a team? And what are those differences? Well, for, for virtual assistants, outsource could look like, well, there's a company that has, they're a human capital company. They may have a contingency in the Philippines. They might have 20 people waiting um, that are ready to work for a US-based real estate investment company, right? So you would call them. Rocket Station's one of them. They're a great vendor. Viaosity, I think is another one. Um, you could call them and say, hey, I'm interested in hiring virtual assistants. Can you connect me to some of your teammates and I'll interview them, right? And they'll source the talent for you. They will find it for you. They will also manage a lot of the backend type stuff like billing, um, healthcare, and all the things that you might not want to worry about. Maybe especially if you're a new investor, you just want to get the ball rolling and not have to worry about logistics. They're great for that, right? You can go to those vendors and hire them. The the downsides and why you would maybe not do that is, well, one, like you got to pay that vendor on top of the hourly rate, right? Like they have to get paid. So you're going to have a little bit um, of some cost in there, right? Because to be honest, even the really good outsourced solutions or agencies, they're not really, once they're in your company, they're in your company. They're not spending a ton of time or money training them, right? They're really, what they're doing is finding the talent for you and managing logistics. That's what they take off your plate. The training is up to you, right? It doesn't matter what they tell you. SOPs, training, they're going to sell that stuff, but that's not what they're good at. They're good at finding people, right? Once they're in your organization, you have to treat them like an employee. You have to train them. You have to provide the scripts. The scripts that they provide you, I don't think are awesome in most of these companies. You got to train them on the script. You might record their calls. You listen to their phone calls. You coach them. You do all the cross training. You provide all the technology that they use. You have to train them on the technology. It's like, what does that sound like, right? Like, what am I describing? An employee, right? So like to answer your question, once they're in your company, outsourced or in-house, it's the same thing, right? You got to treat them like they're an employee in your company. The difference is the logistics. Are you the one managing the pay, you know, healthcare? Did you find them directly or do you find it through a, an agency? That's it. So if I'm just getting started, what you are telling me is completely overwhelming. Like straight up. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to do that, right? So what, what do you say? I, I tell people, if you're just starting, like, don't get caught up on the fact that you're looking at an outsourced agency, like, like a rocket station. And yeah. You're going to have to pay them. Maybe, maybe your VA is making $5 an hour or $4 an hour and you're paying them $10 an hour or nine or whatever it is. And you're like, man, I'm, I'm sinking $5 an hour into this, this vendor. Like, dude, get over it. Because the most important thing when you start your business is get leads, right? What's the fastest way to get leads using a VA if they're going to cold call or text for you? Get them hired and get them into the company. Every like hour or day you're spending worrying about how do I provide healthcare or how do I do this or how do I set up a payroll solution? You're just wasting time. And to be honest, when you're just starting, you don't know if you're going to succeed, right? So you're going to spend all these time building these processes that if you don't close deals, you're going to end up taking them apart anyway, or forgetting about them, like, screw it, dude, just get, just get on the phone, get people calling, close a deal. And then I think once you've made some money, you might look into hiring directly. That's, that's how I would recommend someone does it. Yeah. I think 
Well, what are your thoughts before Rocket Station, right? Because I, I think there's some steps that someone should probably go to before Rocket Station and one of these other agencies as well, right? Like, what about the young hustler out there that is cold calling, but they're starting to hit their limit for cold calling? Like, do they go right to Rocket Station? What do you think? Well, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, well, one, we should provide some context. What I'm talking about I'm, I'm looking at this from an outbound marketing perspective. I'm looking for someone to actually call and do the initial outreach to homeowners, right? What I'm just, if you were doing inbound, like direct mail or PPC, and it was an inbound call, maybe I, maybe my advice wouldn't apply, right? So I'll just say that right off the bat. But like to me, if you're starting to hit a wall with cold calling, you've already done some hustle yourself, meaning you've been the one on the phone and texting. I think you want to do a little bit of prep, right? Like, get your scripts together, put it on a Google drive, right? You, you want them to show up day one and you, they should have a list, right? What data am I going to hit, right? What market am I hitting? Are they going to call tax lanes? Are they going to call tired landlords? You want to make sure they have enough data, right? Don't give them a hundred phone numbers because they're going to burn through that thing in two days, right? So like, I don't know, 5,000 records maybe should be sitting in the stable or on your Google drive before they show up. And um, I probably, if, if I'm cold calling, you want to have a dialer too, right? So I think in uh, short, your technology, your data, and your script, I think need to be ready. But you you would know more about this than I do. What, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think we're aligned, right? I, I tend to think people bring on virtual assistants too fast. And then I think when they bring them on, they look at them too much as an assistant. And they, they basically assume that they can fix all of that entrepreneur's problems, right? Yeah. Like, hey, I have no systems and I want you to clean up all of my systems, yet I'm not going to tell you how to do it, right? Like, that's an impossible task that no one would be able to do. So I'm a big fan of when you bring a virtual assistant on, bring that virtual assistant on for a very specific role, right? And I don't think that role should be, I want you to be my remote secretary and organize everything and plan everything out. I think especially in our space, it works a lot better for cold calling or texting or something like that. Like, hey, I want you to do this for the majority of the day, because it can also become really stressful when you have a virtual assistant that you're paying and they run through all the numbers and then they're like, okay, what do you want me to do now? Okay, now what do you want me to do? Now I finish that. Now what do you want me to do? And now before you know it, you're like, Good night. This is this is terrible. Yeah, no, no doubt. So, like, I, I looked at this thing through the whole lens of where you're hiring for lead generation. Because I think, honestly, anyone who's going direct to seller, you should start there with VAs because that's where the most value is when you're starting your journey. If you're an entrepreneur and you're like, I'm disorganized as shit and I don't know what I should be doing every day, hiring a virtual assistant is going to have no net positive impact for you, right? Like, there's people, you're, to your point, there are people like, oh, my documents are all over the place. Oh, I missed a bill. I didn't pay this. It's like, dude, you, you're screwed up. <laughs> like no one can fix that. So I think you're, what is your business need? It's not what you need, right? If your business needs leads, you hire someone to get leads. If you have too many leads and too many contracts and you're not able to disposition them, hire someone or a virtual assistant in dispositions. If your personal life is in disarray, like then you hire a therapist, right? Like don't hire a virtual assistant, right? <laughs> yeah, so- um, let's say someone has their system set up, they're rocking and rolling, cold calling, they're getting deals, but they're like, you know what, if I could hire a virtual assistant to 20 hours a week of cold calling, I think 
it would be worth it and I could take my business to the next level. But they're resistant to pay the agency price and they want to go direct. They want to find a virtual assistant and hire direct. How, how should they do that? Well, it's tough at the beginning. I think one of the advantages of going through an agency is then you at least know some people. If, if, and if, I'm assuming you're offshoring, right? To get the lower cost. Then at least you know some people in the Philippines, you have a barometer, right? Like what is, you know, like how well do people speak English? You've had some experience working with people in the Philippines or Venezuela, whatever country you're working in. So it's nice to have some experience. If you're going to cold and you're going to go direct right off the bat, I mean, I I actually don't even know how you would start because you probably would put a job description and put it on a site like Indeed. Maybe you do some uh, go on Fiverr Upwork and you post maybe one's week worth of work, right? And then maybe you can keep that person on, right? You could do a couple of different things. But the the problem is, is like going in cold, you're not going to get a referral, right? You know, no one in that country. So you're unlikely to get a referral or a connection. So you're, I don't know, you're just going to go in cold. I, I wouldn't recommend it to be totally honest. Yeah, it's, it's tough. I like the Fiverr recommendation. I think you can probably go on Fiverr and get like, you know, so there's someone on there that'll do 20 hours of cold calling, I would imagine, right? And it's probably not going to be the perfect rate, but it'll it'll let you test your systems for a very low initial investment to kind of see, see what's up. And then ultimately how we scaled our lead specialists or virtual assistants is we started joining Filipino virtual assistant Facebook groups or international virtual assistant Facebook groups. We joined every one of those Facebook groups we could find. And then we would post a very simple ad in there, like, hey, we're a young startup that already has virtual assistants. We're looking to hire three more. We would love for you to be part of our team. If you want to join our team, send an email with a one-minute video about why you'd be a good fit on our team to this email address, and we'll go from there. And it was amazing. We had uh, an unbelievable amount of referrals. Like Within 24 hours, we would get 20 20 people would apply and we'd have to shut it off, right? We're like, we'd have to go in there and delete those, those posts. Um, we did that the first couple of times. Now we hire almost exclusively from internal referrals. So someone's cousin or friend, um, that's, that's usually how we get them. But so we save money going direct, right? On average, we're paying $4 an hour to um, our VAs that aren't through an agency and through the agency, we're paying $10 an hour. Okay. So, so quite a big difference there, but it's hard, right? Like what, what additional effort or what additional resources are required of those direct hires? Well, I mean, when you go direct, first off, there's extra work in recruiting, which you just alluded to. So you're going to actually have to act kind of like an HR function. You have to find people. And if people leave, which, which which will happen in the cold calling industry, like you will typically have some turnover year to year, you're now rehiring, right? So staffing is obviously an additional thing you're going to do. There's also the stuff I mentioned before, like payroll, yada, 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 and the logistics, right? Um, but the training is, one good thing is the training is the same, right? Like you're, like I said before, like you're training these people in your company, no matter, no matter what, so there is some additional work, but I think it makes sense to go direct once you achieve some level of scale. I think cold calling and standing up a call center essentially is a great example of when going direct starts to make a lot of sense, right? 
in our company, we have over 10 cold callers. So saving that $6 an hour, you know, multiple times, hundreds of hours a month adds up to thousands of dollars a month, right? So for us to keep our cost per lead down, it's almost a necessity. I think if someone's doing PPC or maybe text, I can see the argument to not incur all that extra effort. So um, it's definitely a balance. You got to make the right decision for your particular business. But in general, I think the more hustle by lead specialist or virtual assistants is required by your company, the more number of total hours, the more it is in your best interest to probably hire them directly. I agree. I agree with all that. What about leadership? And the reason I say that is we're West Pointers, we're Army guys, we're known for leadership. But I think with our virtual assistants, it's given us a competitive advantage. And I think it's given us a competitive advantage because I think there's a lot of people in this space that are treating virtual assistants kind of like robots. They're like, do step one through seven. If you have a question, write it down. We'll make an SOP so you always know the answer to anything and I can completely exit the conversation, right? Some people handle that and that's fine if that's how their business works. I think we look at it like we want to develop these people. We want to have them be awesome members of our team. We want to celebrate them. We want to think of um, our team and our culture as not the U.S. base in the foreign base, but like, hey, we are a team and a culture that's together. And I think that comes from leadership. What do you think? Yeah, totally. I think uh, there's actually a lot of ways. While you're talking, I was counting the ways I think we try to be really good leaders in terms of managing our virtual assistants. And I'll try to name them all. Um, so one is we have company values, right? Character, hustle, grit. I, all of our virtual assistants or lead specialists know our company values. Like it's, we have a Slack channel called values and everyone in the company, you and I included, post what we did that day to exude one of the company values. So I, we know that they all know what it is. We talk about it constantly, right? We also grade people in our company based off of those values. We have A players, B players, and C players, right? To be an A player, you have to have our company values and help make the machine better, the deal machine, right? Um, we also, I think, try to lead through training, right? Adam, our acquisition manager, he trains his lead specials every single week. Carlo, our disposition manager and cl- contract to close gentleman, he trains his team every week. I attend some of that training. You attend some of the acquisitions training. I train Carlo every week. Like training is just part of our company, lead specialists included. We also, I think, and I think this is unusual, is our compensation model is built to incentivize them to exude our values. Like when we have a VA get a contract, they get incentive compensation, right? Our two top virtual assistants, Diane and Joycey, um, they get incentive compensation as well, but it's on a quarterly basis because they're managers. They're not they're not doing lead gen directly. So we treat them like US-based employees. Like they get a quarterly bonus for having good planning or good training or good leadership, right? Now, yes, like we're still arbitraging the currency. Like their their bonus isn't the same as someone who works at Invitation Homes or some hedge fund, but it's it's commensurate with an employee in the Philippines that's doing a really good job. So, I mean, we pay them that way too. So I think wherever we can, um, we, we want to treat them like awesome employees. It doesn't matter if they're in the Philippines, the U.S., Canada. It doesn't matter, right? Like they're, if they're awesome, we're going to treat them like they're awesome, straight up. Nice. Can you talk a little bit about our Friday videos and also our, um, like, uh, our Monday celebration meetings? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, sometimes you got to have fun because they're awesome employees, but it's not like I'm pretending like cold calling is the most fun thing in the world. Sometimes they need to pick me up, right? So you got to have fun. So we uh, Friday evenings 
we have like our um, one minute video closeout of the week where everyone kind of tells like, hey, how their week went. Um, they talk about maybe some company values they exuded that week and what they're going to do for the weekend, right? So if someone's taking their kids to the zoo or maybe they're going to chill and watch movies, like they get to communicate that. You know, on Mother's Day, a lot of the people in our company were commenting like, hey, I'm going to go see my mom. A lot of the moms were saying all this awesome stuff about how they're going to spend time with their kids. So that kind of, like sometimes it feels like we're a sports team because you're so competitive and like, you know, this, our industry is a little cutthroat. It's very, very competitive in terms of deals. But then sometimes on Fridays, it feels more like a family, you know, <laughs> which is which is a nice balance. Um, and then on Mondays, every two weeks, we have our all hands. It's the entire company, lead specialist up to you and I. And we talk about wins, right? Like contracts we've gotten, how we got better, deals we sold, deals we've closed. Um, we usually give credit to people who have done just really awesome stuff in and out of work. So, I mean, last one, we had a we had a beach themed <laughs> all hands meeting. Like everyone had to, you know, have like a beach themed background. We had a Mother's Day themed one. So, I mean, you gotta have fun once in a while, right? Um, or else in our industry, you'll be a boiler room. So we try to yeah. we try to have that. Yeah, and I, I think one of the interesting things about the beach theme and the Mother's Day theme that we did was that was not a stateside employee that came up with that idea. Right. That was a virtual assistant that was like, hey guys, I think we need to spice up uh, these meetings a little bit. Can we put a flyer together and have everyone wear beach attire? And it was awesome, right? Like, and I'm proud that we have empowered them to do so. We had a lead specialist on the last one uh, singing, sing a song, right? Like it yeah. turned into a talent show. It was, it was amazing. Yeah, well, the one before that, one of uh, Rita, one of, she's from Pakistan, actually. I've been talking Philippines, but she's from Pakistan, her and her sister. Um, and uh, she was, she was like, Frank, I was, I was talking and she, I was like, any questions? And she's like, Frank, you promised us all t-shirts. Where are the t-shirts at? Like she called me out. <laughs> so, so like. You know, it's so I think a lot of times people will treat their offshore resources in a way that's like very subjugated. Right. So I think it's unusual in these dynamics for someone to call out the owner, you know, but I thought it was great. And like you could tell everyone was laughing, like everyone's like laughing, like, oh, Rita called out, you know, one of the owners. And uh, but I loved it. I think that's really cool, you know, to have that type of environment. For sure. So um, our first virtual assistant that we got was a rock star right? Yeah. Came in. She was awesome. Any reservations we had about virtual assistants, I think she turned them on their head, right? She came in with kind of raw talent. We taught her real estate, right? Like she knew the front of our business. Then she knew the back of our business. She, she did a ton of stuff, superstar. And then yeah. she left, right? Yeah. And then she left to go do her, her own thing. Okay. I think there's some people in this situation that would completely change how they operate, right? And I, I don't think we we did or we will, but can you talk about that? And maybe if someone has that reservation for really investing in a virtual assistant, what you might tell them? Well, I think what, what, what we did is we treated her like someone we were giving responsibility to. Like every month, it seemed like, seemed like we were giving her more um, autonomy, you know, further left and right limits, like more ability to just have control, right? She wasn't really following a procedure. She was actually just like facilitating real estate deals kind of front to back in a way. Um, and, uh, you know, we, she left and we had like a little bit of a vacuum, particularly when she moved to the disposition side or that part of our business was like a skeleton crew after she left, right? Um, but 
like some people would say, well, oh man, I can't give that much ownership of this work to, and again, to an offshore resource. Cause now I'm left holding the bag and it's hard to restart. But I think the lesson we learned is like, get ahead. When you have awesome employees, they will eventually manifest other opportunities in their life. Right. She joined, she was like in a startup now, right. Get on the radar. Like, Hey, how are you? Like, how are you feeling about working here? Like every quarter you should be asking these questions just like people do at JP Morgan or a bank. Right. That was probably where we maybe could have done it a little bit better. We eventually asked because we could tell something was going on, but we were probably late to the game. Right. So like, it's just like anything, when you got a rock star, you want to keep that rock star in the business. The opportunity cost of losing awesome people is high. Right. So just every quarter or minimum every quarter be like, Hey, how you doing? You know, like we want you to stay, just tell them, we want you to stay here for as long as we can. Like, tell me how happy you are, you know? And, um, you know, maybe if you have to pay people more, pay people more, right. If it's worth it to your business to keep them in, you know, spend the extra $4 an hour, whatever it is. So there you go. No, I, I think that's spot on. And then also it's just, it's just like, Hey, if you have awesome people, you're going to have some turnover, <laughs> you know, yeah. like it's, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. We, the other option is to stop investing in training, right? Like you, you can't do that. You have to make the best team you can. And you have to realize that uh, some people are going to leave, but what about the flip side of that? What about when you have to let virtual assistants go, which we've, Let's see, we've gotten rid of four in the last month that we had to fire and they did not want to be fired, but we had to let them go. What are your thoughts there? Well, it's, um, it's, it's part of it, especially if you're doing lead gen, is direct to seller marketing, in my opinion, is one of the not easiest businesses to measure, but the story that your data tells you after a couple of months becomes extremely clear, right? Like if you're tracking how many calls are made, how many leads are generated by a person and how many of those deals close and you're doing it at extreme volumes, like talking tens of thousands of calls, right? You know, once you get to like 20,000, 30,000, you know, 50,000 data points, you kind of, I mean, the performance and the disparity in performance between one person to the next becomes really, really obvious, right? So I think in our business, it just kind of screams right in your face. If someone's underperforming, like you can't ignore it. It's like literally right there on the end of our monthly reports. So it's like staring right at you. So and I think because of that, because strong performers and maybe middling or weaker performance become very obvious in our business, it's natural that you're going to let some people go, right? And it, that's it is what it is. Like I said before, a lot of ways we're like a family, but a lot of ways we're like a sports team, right? The best players got to play, right? Um, like the Patrick Mahomes of the world, like they, they get more incentive compensation, right? If you're the backup kicker and you miss five field goals in a game, like sports teams are going to cut you. It's the nature of the beast, right? So, yeah. Um, I, I like that answer that the thing I would add is I believe in the sports team analogy, right? We got that from, uh, from the Netflix CEO. I, I think it's really good. But the one thing I would say is, um, it was not an enjoyable experience, right? Yeah. Like do I believe that the people that we needed to let go, it was the right decision for the business? Yes. But at the same time, it broke my heart because we had some people that, you know, needed a job, right? But yeah. I look at it like we had to make that decision of what's best for the business. And in turn, that's that's asking what's best for all the people within our business. But it was, it was tough. I'm glad we did it. And I'm sure we'll have to do it a bunch more. But I, I just, I want to make it clear. It's not something that we're like, oh, we'll fire all of them if we need to. Like we, we, I think truly value them as, as people and as team members. 
Yeah. I don't want to make it seem too robotic, right? Like there's still some qualitative decision-making going on, right? Like there's people that start with us and their English isn't so great. And then a month in, you're like, wow, it's really getting a lot better. Right. And you see that person really hustling and training and exuding the company values. Like you're going to want to try to keep them on, you know, because you know that we've seen people start out really rough on the phone. Right. And then three months later, we're like, wow, this person is very good. Like this person is legit. That's happened to us before. So sometimes you got to, you got to give some time so you can invest in, in the person because some, some people just pull through. So, and let's just talk about the accent quick, right? I think people that aren't familiar are like, I would never sell my house to someone with a strong accent because I would think it was, was a scam, right? Why don't you just hire someone stateside? What are your, what's your response to that? Well, I mean, let's be honest about stateside, right? There's not that many U.S persons that will survive doing this, right? And it, there's not that many people just cold calling in the US for real estate investment funds that are small. There's people that are doing like inbounds, like maybe it's a PPC ad and they do a call and someone answers it. That might be a US-based employee for like Nick Perry, for example. But actual like call center type stuff, there's not that many US people that are competent that are doing it. That, that's one thing, right? Two is, um, it's not true right? Like we, there's a lot of people in our industry that have like done cold calling themselves for a while. And then they have a virtual assistant do it. And the virtual assistant outperforms them themselves, right? Like, so I don't believe that to be true. Um, and I also think like there's, it's some of it's data, right? And I'll give the example of the tired landlord, right? Um, I forget who told us this, this quote, but it's true. You could go, if you call any landlord on the right day of the year, they're selling their house, right? Like to an extent, if if someone is in has a squatter or is in the middle of an eviction or they didn't have the right insurance and their roof just caved in and you call them, they're selling the house, right? Like don't overthink it. Um, so my answer in short is the right seller sells the house. Doesn't matter what the accent is. And two, I think honestly, offshore employees outperform US-based employees in this particular skill set most of the time anyway. So let's just talk about that. What is a lead specialist in our company? do? What does their day look like? Well, we have a couple different roles, but um, the most common, the most populated role is that of a lead specialist underneath our acquisitions team um, working for Diane and Adam. And they essentially come in every day and we use Zencall as our calling platform. Um, and they're usually going to be assigned data points or a list, right? So they might be calling Colleen, Texas, tired landlords that day, or Tyler, Texas leans and they're, and they're going to get in their dialer and they're going to start making calls, right? Some days they have training mixed in and some days they have other activities like our offsite, but in general, they're coming in and they're making phone calls and they usually might make, you know, what is it? 200 to 300 calls essentially a day. And we really say we want to get a qualified lead a day, right? We try to keep it really simple in our business. Like one lead a day is easy to remember. It's also makes our business run properly. So we just say, Hey, one lead a day per person. Um, and I'll say like, you can see in our Slack channel and through the videos and all the comments our lead specialists make, like them getting a lead each day, like that simple goal. It's like, it's powerful. Like they care about getting that lead. Um, so, but you know, generally they're calling it's, it's a lot of hours per day. I mean, 200, 300 calls, like I said before. Yeah. And I, I think one thing most people don't realize if they haven't done a lot of cold calling is, the majority of those calls or the majority of that time, those calls are just not going to go through. Yeah. They're going to go to an answering machine, right? 
or someone's going to say hello and you're going to say, hey, this is Sarah from Grayline Investments. Is Steve there? And they're going to immediately hang up, right? Like that is probably 90% of your day, right? Um, and then you probably have, if that's 90% of your day, then another 5% is someone telling you to F off, right? Like, don't ever call me again, lose my number, I hate you, right? And then you have 5% of the day, you're actually talking to someone, trying to have a meaningful conversation and trying to qualify, right? So, um, but let's talk about Diane. What is Diane's role? She, um, or actually let's talk about our lead specialist first, right? We've, we've got uh, Faith and Liberty. So we've created these, these levels in acquisitions. So what are our multiple levels and what do they do? Oh, okay. Now I see where you're going with the question. <laughs> but uh, the, um, so yeah, I mentioned the job of a cold caller. We also have team leaders, which you mentioned before, Faith and Liberty. And they're essentially responsible for the training um, and really like first, like level one assistance of the people on their team, right? So we've essentially created another management layer as our team has grown and that need materialized. So they're training them, they're listening in on their calls and making sure people on the team cross train. I mean, essentially, I look at that role as you're managing humans and you're making sure they're good at their job and they're prepared to work every day and they have the tools needed to work. Like that's, that's essentially their job, which is just the job of a good manager. Then we have Diane who manages the entire team, the entire call center really, and reports to Adam. And she has those same responsibilities. She manages the team leaders and she, you know, is their people manager and make sure that she, they have the things they need. Like they brought up yesterday, like we need VPNs, right? Like we're, we're having issues within our company, right? Like they got to make sure that they have the tools needed. But in addition to that, Diane also does a lot of our follow-up, right? If we have qualified leads, maybe some people that we want to give some extra attention to, like Diane will, will talk to them. She also, a lot of the time, acts as a further qualifier for Adam. Adam's our ultimate closer, right? Like a lot of leads come in and maybe all we know about that lead is they own the home and they're kind of interested in selling the house. Diane will talk to that seller and because she has more experience, we'll ask a little bit more of a detailed script or more detailed questions to see if they're really a good lead, right? So that this way we can, when Adam gets on the phone with somebody, he's not dealing with people that are just kind of spinning his wheels, right? Because we want him to have a conversion rate somewhere around like one out of 20, one out of 25 conversations or better. He's closing and we don't want him to be a one out of 50 because then he's going to burn, get burnt out. So, at, so Diane acts as a further qualifier. Diane also helps manage our data. So if we're going to a new market, um, let's say it's uh, McClellan in Texas or whatever, all these crazy cities, Brownsville that we're doing uh, where Elon Musk is, is dropping houses is uh, she'll then like pull the data from PropStream and make sure that the team has the data required to, uh, to work the next day. Right. So she's always ahead of that. And that's actually in terms of systems to set up, if you're scaling your call center um, that's one of the most important things to get set up because if you're constantly having to get the data set up ahead of all your cold callers who are just burning through numbers, like that's, that's a hamster wheel. Like no one talks about that. Like if you have a really good call center, they're making thousands of calls a day. Right. And if you're the one that's providing the data and trying to keep up with them, they're going to kick your ass. Right. So like, that's, that's someone's like part of their full-time job. If you're the business owner, you got to get out of that task as soon as possible. Nice. So let's talk about, uh, what we have virtual assistants doing on the backside of the business. So talk to me a little bit about uh, Bea and Joycey, and then we're going to go into uh, questions. We we asked in the Facebook group, virtual real estate investing Facebook group, 
uh, some questions. So I've got some questions there and then some people sent me some DMs. So we'll do some uh, some one-offs after that. But talk about the virtual assistants on the back half of our business first. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, just like on the acquisition side, like there's room for employment on the back half of a wholesaling or flipping company too, right? So every deal we got under, under, under contract goes to a contract closed board. In our company, we wholesale about half of them. We flip about half of them. Um, but our, our virtual assistants help in both ways, right? So we have Joycey, who is kind of like in charge of managing the board, right? We have like 25 properties on our board right now. She kind of looks at it and makes sure that they're moving properly from left to right across the board. That's part of her job. Um, she also manages the operational side of each deal. So what does that look like? Collecting information from contractors, collecting information from sellers, like photos, lease agreements if the home is occupied, like getting all the documentation set. And she's basically doing everything on the logistical side to make sure we can market that property. We get all the information we absolutely need, including a walkthrough date to market it if we're going to do a wholesale deal. Then our other virtual assistant, Bea, is responsible for the marketing, right? So she does like all the Facebook posting. She sends out all the max text messages. She manages Go High Level, which is our marketing tool for sending uh, outbound messages to cash buyers, manages the buyer's lists, all the tagging. So she manages the entire marketing process. And then you have Carlo, who's our dispo lead, who manages both of them. And he just, he's basically responsible for monetizing our houses, right? Like, how do we monetize our houses? He's responsible for the average profit per deal and our conversion rate. And those two support him, essentially, in that task. Nice. Cool. Okay, I'm going to go to the Facebook group. This first question is from uh, Rick Tobin. You're rushing through. Does that answer good? <laughs> That's good. That's okay. good. Sorry, I want to... I want to make sure we can get to these questions and then uh, maybe I'm a little nervous because I'm going to try to ask the question and read it at the same time. So okay. uh, you, you called me up for being a little nervous. My bad. Okay, <laughs> here we go. Uh, so Rick Tobin asks, see, I'm, I'm trying to act like I've done this before, but I've never actually done yeah, this. Give it a shot, man. It's okay. <laughs> All right. So Rick Tobin, we know Tobin. Uh, good dude. Um, how do you train your VA to better qualify? Right. So he says, for instance, uh, Zillow price is 200 and in the notes, it says they're asking for 300. It's clearly not a lead. How do you get a VA to better qualify? Best, uh, I think you gave this advice. Start really simple and let them gain momentum, right? So when we have people come into our company, they will start with a script and it's very, very simple. They're basically looking for, do you own the house? And do you have like one of the primary motivations? Like, do you want to move fast? Is the house in bad condition? You know, are you willing to sell at a discount? Like basic stuff, anything beyond those type of questions is for Diane or Adam to dig into, right? So we start them out with a really simple script to execute. And then if someone's killing it, like they're, they're somehow like locking up a million contracts in the first couple of weeks, we'll add complexity on top of that. I guess my answer is start really simple and then let them get some momentum and then add on their plate. And then the training becomes easier. I think the mistake a lot of people make is they start them off with really difficult tasks and then they try to bang their head against the wall and train them simultaneously. And it's just like this uncomfortable thing that kind of sucks and it makes everyone feel bad. So start out simple. Yeah. Even if it's a virtual assistant, like their motivation is super, super important in my opinion. Yeah. So if right off the bat, you're like, no, this isn't a lead. No, this isn't a lead. Like it's, it's going to be tough. So I would say in the beginning, take all the junk leads, right? Like let them, don't, don't even give them feedback if depending on where their motivation level is, right? As they start getting some momentum and their confidence starts getting better, then start giving them that feedback because they, they got to be motivated. You're going to get crushed. So Frank, this question is from Trent Russell from uh, 8020 Academy. It's not necessarily about VAs, but he asked a question. So let's go ahead and put it uh, 
let's go ahead and ask it. So non-refundable assignment deposit, uh, outside escrow or inside of escrow? I mean, I don't use that terminology, but I'm going to say in escrow. I like I like everything in escrow in a real estate transaction as much as possible, right? Like, like I don't know. I, I'd rather, I think it's also easier to do business and feel like everyone's trusting each other if title companies are managing money, right? Like, I don't like it when people, lenders, buyers, whomever, I don't want money coming into my bank account. Like, I feel like everyone's more trustworthy if you use title. I like it. Um, so these are from DMs. So uh, I guess we'll keep them anonymous. Do I have to have someone full-time or is part-time okay? I think um, it depends on how big, much data you have. If you're hiring for lead gen and you only have a couple thousand numbers that I would advise you not to hire 40 hours because you're going to burn through it so quickly that you'll, you'll probably burn through that list and you'll still be finishing conversations with qualified leads. If you're just starting and trying to lock up a contract. And then if you're brand new, you're going to, you know, that's a nerve wracking experience, right? You're trying to close deals. So it's not like, it's not like you go to bed at night and you're not thinking about it, right? When you're doing your first couple of deals, you care. So then you're going to be negotiating these deals with these sellers while some 40 hour a week virtual assistants like tugging at you, like, Hey, I need leads. You know, I've burned through all these numbers. So I feel like start out at 20. Um, if you're just starting out, unless you have a lot of data and go from there. Gotcha. Uh, I agree. Um, if I hire a virtual assistant, do we need to have a contract? I mean, I would advise you to have an employment agreement if you go direct. There's templates out there. If someone wants to DM us for employment agreements that we have, um, yeah, do it. Just spell out the hours, spell out um, how long the contract's supposed to last, you know, grounds for termination, like some of the legal stuff. Yeah, do it. It's, uh, it's really, really easy. Put it in DocuSign, send it to their email, have them sign. Nice. How much training does a virtual assistant need before they can start cold calling? A day. Maybe, maybe less than a day. Uh, I think, I think calling can be the training, right? I mean, like think about how many unqualified leads you have in your business, right? If you're in this space, tens of thousands, right? It's not like each one of them is worth a million dollars. Like, you know, what, what does the data cost? Like less than 30 cents, you know, the whole, the whole thing. So, you know, Maybe have them call some, record the line after they make their first connection. You know, the first person that actually has a conversation with them, make sure it's recorded on some tool like CallRail and use that as a teaching point, right? You know, don't be so scared about losing one lead that you won't, you can't train, right? Because I think live training is um, is really important and it's hard to replicate, so. Uh, how do you communicate with your virtual assistants? Well, I mean, if you're directly managing them, you should be talking to them every day, right? I advise you get on Zoom. Like if it's just you and someone making calls, like talk to them every day if you can, right? Coach them, train them, you know, fit them into your culture. Uh, but if you're a larger company like ours, maybe you have 15 to 20 employees, Slack. We use Slack a lot. Uh, we use Slack to communicate our company values we have all of our updates. People can ask questions. We talk about training. Um, I mean, Slack is a great tool, especially if people are 13 hours away in time zones. It's awesome. Like, don't reinvent the wheel. It's a great tool. And for the record, we still use the free version. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> completely. Yeah, we we don't get all the data, but I mean, you get we still you get plenty. The free version is awesome. 
I agree. Uh, how do you keep track of hours worked? And I also, this is my question now, but uh, how do you keep track of hours worked? And also some people use like screen capture. So uh, you can tell people aren't on Facebook the whole time they're cold calling. What are your thoughts? So I, um, I mean, we, we were using um, Google Docs, right? Just to track everything. I recently you know, got a uh, payroll solution for us stood up and we're going to start using that. It has the option to, um, to track people's screens and their screen time. And uh, I, I don't want to do it, right? Because I, we already have all this data, right? How many leads people are getting, how many contracts they get. And like, those are the business owner metrics we care about, right? And um, something about it, so there's something so big brother about monitoring people's screens. Like, even though we had the option to do it at no cost, I was like, I really don't want to, you know, to be honest. The, the results will speak for themselves, right? Like if someone generates five contracts in a month, but then they were looking at Facebook for five hours, are we getting rid of that person? No. Absolutely. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, dude, let, let the results speak for themselves. I, I think it's like, if people were stateside, would you want that? Right? Like if you had stateside, a dispo, a dispo manager that was stateside in Texas, would you want screen recording on that you'd be like no there's no way that person would work for you and my thought is treat treat the uh the foreign va with that same level of respect and i i think your point is very valid about the results i also think if our values are character hustling grit if our teammates are living by character hustling grit we don't need to have those extra controls in place. Like there's going to be trust and will we get burnt? Yeah. Like we're going to get, we're going to get our ass kicked at some point because of that, but the amount of good will far, far outweigh the negative aspects. Think of the audacity of us um, people in the U S that do that either or a large company that does that like JP Morgan. Cause some of the large companies do do that to their offshore resources. I'm like, wait, do people in the U S think they deserve a monopoly on being lazy as hell? <laughs> like, you know how many people in these large companies in the U.S. are not working, and we're tracking the screens of people that are offshore? Like, come on, guys. That, are, that we're Nickel. paying, you know, s- s- the, the person making $75,000 a year working from home does nothing. But the person J.P. Morgan is paying, you know, $4 an hour, they want to know exactly what the screen looks like at all times. If I saw, if I met someone that was managing teams in India or Philippines, and they told me, they wanted to invest in tracking their screens and they were from the U S I would try to stuff them in a locker somewhere. Like that's, I would, I would think less of that person for saying that. Okay. Uh, last question is, does every virtual assistant need an email address or how do you manage login information for all the software? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you want to replicate what we have. So <laughs> I would say yes, like, or at least by role. Right. So I think your company probably works best if you have an acquisitions inbox a sales or disposition inbox and maybe an operations or something like that. Like each function I think deserves its own email address. I think you can have multiple people have access to that as long as you have a way to manage the logins and all that stuff. In our company, we have a kind of funny situation. We were told, um, and at the beginning of our company, every virtual assistant was female, right? And someone told us like, Sarah is the most responded to name in the English language. Like people respond the best to Sarah. So we set up a Sarah Acreline Investments email address, right? And then, but then eventually 
some of our virtual assistants moved across the company. Like Joycey moved to the back half of our business, started out in the front. So she's like also kind of known as Sarah. So we have like, like we have sellers that kind of move across our company and they'll speak to Sarah at the beginning. Right. And then they'll, the house will go under contract and then they'll be introduced to the next Sarah <laughs> that is going to help to guide them through the transaction. It's, it's confusing how we got to this point, but basically it's people who work with us speak to like a, three Sarahs before their transactions close. And it's, it's pretty funny. It is. And we've, we've told them like, Hey, if you don't think it's working, let's switch it. Like, let's change it. And they all laugh about it, but they're like, no, we should, we should keep it like that. I'm like, all right, fine. Yeah. I mean, if they say it's working, it's fine, but it is funny. And we've had one or two sellers bring it up. Like, wait, what? How everyone in your company's named Sarah. Anyway, it's pretty fun. For sure. I mean, any virtual assistant stuff you think we, we failed to cover? I think it just, it's like a, it's like a golden rule thing. And the golden rule is like treat people how you want to be treated or how you would want to be treated. And I think that goes for any employee, US, Philippines, Venezuelan, Russian, doesn't matter like what country people are from. Everyone wants to be inspired. Furthermore, the number one reason people leave jobs is because of their manager, right? And I don't think that, I think virtual assistants are similar to that, right? If, if you're a miserable person to work for, they, they will leave, right? They will leave because there's another US-based employer that wants to hire that person for sure. There's a little competition there. So treat people really, really good and you'll get rewarded, I guess is the message. Uh, yeah, I, I think all that. And then from a uh, capitalist perspective, if you can do all that stuff first, the ability to arbitrage currency, right? Because the virtual assistants in the Philippines or in Pakistan that we're paying $4 an hour, they're very happy with their salary. Right. And then we give them, you know, bonus compensation. They're, they're doing well. Like they're, they're very happy with the amount of money they're making. So think about at $4 an hour, how many cold callers we can have compared to a stateside um, cold caller. Right. And some people might be like, Hey, that's, that's un-American. And I'm like, Hey, the, the, the free market is the free market. Right. I, I think um, if you can crack that nut and treat people with the golden rule and you can make it all happen, you'd be crazy not to arbitrage that currency. This has been going on forever, right? Um, the New York City used to have a garment district. If someone figured out that, hey, I can't make garments in the most expensive city on the East Coast efficiently, it's gone, right? That's actually one of the catalysts to the 1970s collapse, right? So we didn't invent arbitrage. It's part of the American economy since we've started, right? It is what it is. Okay. Um, well, the final question I'll give you Frank, because uh, Bitcoin is hot and it's tanking, is give us your thoughts on cryptocurrency. But first, a quick commercial. <laughs> I usually say send us your deals at deals at graylineinvestments.com so Adam Parsons can check them out because we do want to be your cash buyer. But this is what I would say. If you are listening to this podcast and you're enjoying it, we would love a review. I think we've, we've got 18 reviews or, or something like that. If you could give us a couple more, that would be great. If you could share the podcast, that would be great too. But my number one commercial, the number one thing I would love some help in is I want you to be on our newsletter, okay? Virtual Real Estate Investing, vrei.co. Go check it out. Make sure you put your email address in there and get on our newsletter distro. So random off topic, Frank, what do you think about the crypto situation? I mean, I, I don't know a ton about crypto. I mean, I, I know more than probably the average person, but the average person also knows very little. So I, uh, I, think, I think because the true value proposition of crypto 
is getting very muddled, right? Is it a storage of cash? Is it a great way to send cash? Is it going to be an actual currency that's usable? Like even the people in charge, I feel like are not giving very clear answers, right? Which gives me very, uh, makes me more pessimistic than most on the uh, eventual outcome, right? Also, eventually currency has got to be FDIC insured and not every single one of them is going to make the cut, right? So what does that mean? If that does happen, do the other ones go to zero? Do you have to pick the right horse to win here? Like that's a risk. Um, I think it, we probably have a little bit of time where you can pump and dump this stuff, right? So I, I think you just treat it like this. You're in a casino. Like what is that? It's a movie. It's like, ma'am, you're in a casino. It's like a famous quote. You're in the casino. Like don't complain if you put it on black and it hits red. It is what it is, right? Just know you're in the casino. Don't put your life savings in it. If you're uh, loaded, like if you're a multi-multi-millionaire, I could see it as a good hedge, right? Um, I think the wealthier you are and the more you have at risk, the more it probably makes sense to put money in it. But if you only have $10,000 in your savings account, do not put $5,000 in, in crypto. That's that's my opinion. Yeah, I, I think I tend, I want to say I'm similar, but I don't think I'm similar. I wouldn't make the decision based on how much money you have. I would base the decision on if you're a gambler or not right? Like if you're a gambler, gamble, right? Like, cause it's, it's like the tulip story, right? You know, the tulip story, right? Uh, look it up if you don't know the tulip story, but uh, basically we could say anything's worth money to include tulips. And we've said tulips in the past, right? right. And the bottom line is people started um, have this huge tulip demand, right? And then what happened at some point there stopped being no demand and people couldn't buy tulips anymore, right? Or people lost all their money in tulips. But as that price went up, there's a lot of people that made a bunch of money too, right? So there will be people in this crypto craze that make a ton of money. Is it a long-term hedge against inflation? It could be, right? But um, I think it is absolutely a gamble. Uh, I think the blockchain is interesting. I think crypto is interesting. I think it's all interesting, but I absolutely think it's a gamble. Yeah, it's a gamble for sure. I agree. All right, brother. Great chat. We uh, uh, hopefully put out a lot of value. Please hit us up on brei.co uh, and get on a newsletter. Take care, Frank. All right. Later, brother. Yeah.